I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. As a child, I started each day at school with the pledge. Came over the uh, intercom, we stood, we recited the pledge. In the summer, I only got seven times. VBS with the family night and the 4th of July service. It was always a big deal to get to hold the flag. I, I'm not sure I completely understood the process of pledging my allegiance, but I did. I probably didn't realize the importance of those words, allegiance, republic, indivisible, liberty, or justice. While all of those words are important, today I want us to focus on liberty. Not just in a historical, patriotic, feel great moment, but a look into God's word for how we can have and understand true liberty. I'd like for us to start in God's word by looking at Matthew chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses 28 through 30. So when you find the passage in your Bible, would you please stand with me out of respect for the public reading of God's word. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You may be seated. In these few verses in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is inviting people who were tired and weary to come to him. I just finished a week of kids camp with 133 children, followed by a week of mission trip till today. I understand tired and weary. My voice is, I'm giving you all I've got. I'm praying that God will get me through to the end. When Jesus said these words, Jesus was inviting people who were tired and weary to come to him. Life was hard for these people. I, I'm sure they were exhausted because they had been working hard. Jesus's words would have given comfort to the weary, to the hardworking people. But I'm not sure that Jesus's words were just for comfort to the weary or hardworking people. I think they were for exhausted people who had been doing things on their own, trying to make it on their own effort, in their own strength. Maybe, maybe they just had the wrong priorities. Maybe they had a wrong understanding of what God required of them. Perhaps they'd even been doing the wrong things. Perhaps they even were getting bad information from their religious leaders on how to have a relationship with God. Whatever the case, their efforts have proved to be discouragingly futile. 
And this message Jesus applies today, the message Jesus gives applies today as much as it did on the day that he spoke it. Many of us are tired. We're a busy people. And we're not just tired, we're weary. Most of us, even post-resurrection followers of Christ, end up living a life of attempted works-based relationship, trying to do enough to make God love us, trying to be good enough to earn our way into heaven. In our tiredness, in our weariness, we should hear the words of Jesus today. Come unto me, and I will give you rest. Jesus is calling weary souls to come to him. And he promises relief. He promises rest. He promises refreshment for our souls. For the lazy, this isn't a passage to justify doing nothing just to get a rest that you don't deserve because Jesus does not promise a rest from work. This whole passage is about learning and working. It's one of those passages where if you just take an easy external reading, you see a picture that every hearer in the audience would have immediately understood. But if you look a little deeper, there may be a different meaning in Jesus's message. In the very next verse, Jesus invites us to take his yoke. Almost everyone there that day would know that a yoke is a work implement. We'll start here. Then we'll look to see if maybe Jesus, the master storyteller, can use this same word to take a shot at the religious leaders while explaining why we need to come unto him because we are tired and weary and burdened by the yoke. A yoke is used in farming. A yoke can join two animals, such as oxen together, so that the animals can share the workload, distribute the workload evenly, and they can become more productive. Sometimes an older, more experienced animal would be linked with a, a younger, less experienced animal so that the older animal could train the younger animal while they work together. We've just gotten back from mission trip to Mobile County. The team was made up of short-term missionaries from sixth grade to almost age 90. We worked side by side. Our construction team had skilled senior adults teaching our students their craft. It was a beautiful thing to watch. Early in the week, one of the young ladies from our sports camp, one of my team members, came up and said, who were the four men? I wasn't quite sure what she meant. Then there was a directional eye roll. I glanced over and then she said, the older men. She meant Wayne King, Steve Davis, Ellie Glasscox, and Willard Payne, the four horsemen. <laughs> I was explaining who they were and why they were there, and then she said something about them being cute, and I was done with the conversation. <laughs> I went by their job site on Thursday. They were finishing up. There were both senior adults and students working side by side, yoked 
together. In this passage, Jesus uses the illustration of a yoke. We can see the value of been around a long time and how to know how to do stuff, yoked with don't know how to do much, but I want to learn and I've got vast supplies of energy. You yoke those two together, it's a good thing. But I think there's more in this passage than this picture. By using the illustration of a yoke, Jesus is asking us to share and be partners with him in his work, in his ministry, in his service, yoked with Jesus. I'm up for that. That would make a great t-shirt, yoked with Jesus. We should put that on every day because that's what we're called to do. He is also telling us that not only will he be yoked with us, he will train us. But if we look deeper still, that word yoke was a technical term used in context of teaching in Judaism. Every rabbi had their own yoke. That is their own interpretation of the Old Testament scriptures. The rabbis would pass their own brand of teaching by living in community with their students. Jesus adds, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus wants us to come to him and to learn from him in a continuing relationship. Jesus says he will equip us, he will teach us, he will guide us to be effective in life, in service, if we allow him to be yoked with us. If we come to Jesus and do things his way, in partnership and with communion with him, he promises that we will find rest and refreshment for our souls. If we're yoked and working with Jesus, we find rest and refreshment. In the process, we become more like our rabbi, Jesus, who is gentle or meek and humble in heart. I believe all this is true because Jesus goes on to say, for my yoke is easy. I've seen yokes. They look tough. They look dirty and nasty and full of oxen perspiration. I do not want to put my head in one of those. Jesus says the yoke that he gives is easy. It's easy because Jesus shares it with us. It's easy because when we're in it, we are productive and useful and our work is not vain or futile. It is easy because it is correct and life-giving. Moreover, it's easy because it fits well. The picture here is a yoke that has been custom fitted for us and for him. Jesus adds, and my burden is light. We do have a yoke, an interpretation of scripture to live by. Scripture interpreted by the one who inspired it. We have a burden. We have responsibilities as followers and as servants of Jesus. But if we fulfill our role with Jesus close to us, sharing the load, and when we do things his way in his strength, then our work is not tiresome or burdensome. If we understand yoke to be the teaching of the religious in Jesus' day, 
than the heavy load Jesus mentions in this passage. He may have been referring to the numerous stipulations that the Pharisees added to the Old Testament law, the law given through Moses. These extra regulations were intended to make God's law more applicable in everyday life. However, the bewildering detail and the numerous regulations made them on the whole impractical, burdensome, heavy. If we were to keep reading in Matthew 23, we find these words of Jesus. The scribes and Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. When you compare that to the picture of being yoked with Jesus, where the burden becomes light and easy, I would have wanted to come to Jesus that day. If we were to keep reading in verse 23, we read, woe to you, this is Jesus speaking, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. In John 1:17, it says that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Jesus wants us to receive and experience the fullness of his grace. He doesn't want us to be weighed down with the unnecessary religious regulations that miss God's grace and his mercy. Maybe you're thinking, good, but what does this have to do with your title, true liberty? You haven't mentioned liberty once. Get ready. The Statue of Liberty is one of the best and most loved, most enduring icons of our country, and it represents our highest ideals. Most, if not all of you, have seen at the very least a picture or a video, or maybe you've even seen the Statue of Liberty in person. Patty and I were in New York and saw the Statue of Liberty shortened after 9-11. First time we saw it, it's breathtaking. And you also probably know that the French wanted to give the United States a memorable gift, an expression of our two nations' friendship in honor of our centennial in 1876. Things got a little bogged down. Statue of Liberty wasn't officially dedicated until October 1886. The French were about 10 years late. Say la vie, the French. The statue is of a woman derived from the ancient Roman goddess Libertas, a symbol of freedom from slavery, oppression, and tyranny. The Statue of Liberty is loaded with symbolism. The crown with seven spikes represents sun rays extending out to the world. A tablet represents knowledge and it is inscribed with America's date of our independence in Roman numerals. The broken chains and shackles lying at the left foot signify the abolition of slavery in the United States. She arrived here in 1886. The French paid for the statue 
and the U.S. paid for the pedestal. It took nearly 20 years to complete. It stands today as an iconic testament to our desire to be free. Her raised right foot is on the move, not standing still, and her torch signifies enlightenment. Engraved on the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty are some other familiar words. They're from a poem by Emma Lazarus. The poem's entitled New Colossus. To me, it's interesting that none of our nation's founders saw the Statue of Liberty or heard Lazarus' poem. It was 110 years later, they were all gone. But I think all of them would agree in the spirit of the poem. It goes hand in hand with what Jefferson was trying to capture in our Declaration of Independence that has inspired so many around the world. The poem isn't engraved in its entirety, just the last stanza. It says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. In the 1880s, waves of immigrants found their way here and literally helped build America. They built roads, railroads, high-rise buildings, subway tunnels, bridges, infrastructure. And yet there was prejudice and cruelty that they faced Conflict was inevitable because they were competing for jobs. Their culture and their religion was different from the mainstream country at that time. Their sheer numbers added stress to housing, to sanitation, to food, and to water systems. But eventually, most of them won a place in our society, ensuring the health, safety, and survival of their families. They made our nation stronger. They flocked here because the United States of America offered hope. Living here offered freedom, a chance to dream, a chance to follow that dream. The dream, liberty, freedom, pursuit of happiness was the draw. It wasn't easy. It was difficult for most immigrants. So they did whatever it took to get here, only to find overcrowding, difficult days, hunger, and unemployment. I couldn't help but think of these words on this 4th of July weekend as I read Jesus' invitation in our scripture. Come to me, all that are weary, carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Emma Lazarus, in her poem, recognized that there were thousands of tired, homeless, huddled masses who needed relief. She recognized something needed to be done. She wrote a poem that ended up engraved on one of the most recognized symbols of freedom that the modern world has ever known. Jesus in this passage is calling all who are weary and burdened, all who need rest. He is also offering to team up with us and teach us He promises to be a good teacher, gentle, humble, and healing. He offers purpose because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Emma Lazarus saw a problem and worked to make that problem known. Her poem was actually used to raise money to help finish the Statue of Liberty. 
The Pharisees spent most of their lives seeking wisdom and intelligence, just like most of us. And it seems those are the very attributes that Jesus dismisses. In fact, Jesus says that the blessings of God are intentionally hidden from those who are filled with the wisdom and intelligence of this world. An interesting thing happened on mission trip this year. In March, we did a spa trip. We attempted to locate good areas for us to minister. I'm typically drawn to those lower income areas because it seems in the past 18 years, we see better results from hearing and responding to the gospel in those areas. We're riding around with the local pastor. He kept showing me options for sports camp. And in each of them, I know it, it, it didn't feel right. I think it was frustrating to the group, make a decision. As we drove around, we found a city-owned ballpark that was kind of run down. That's probably kind. When I saw Davis Park, I announced, this is it. I got out, I measured, and I felt like we would make it work. The area was located, the area was located and was definitely lower income. The pastor said, this may not be your best option, but I felt like it was the right option, so we went with it. Matt told me on Monday that the pastor had told his staff that I'd made a bad choice, that no one was going to show up. But on that first day, four little boys showed up and a cute little girl. Funny thing was, the park might have been in a low-income area, but these children weren't. On the first day after camp, a mom got on Facebook and posted that there was a free sports camp at Davis Park and that it was awesome. Another mom asked if it was safe there, and the mom posted, yes, they have a great team with lots of men. I think we doubled in number every day. At the block party on Thursday night, there were 10 salvations. So it turns out both of us were wrong. The pastor and I, the local pastor never came to see us at sports camp. He didn't make it to the block party because he left on Wednesday for vacation. And it seemed to me that he felt the children from that neighborhood wouldn't come because they weren't the kind of children that typically would attend his church. I was wrong because I felt like the children would come from lower income families, but not from families like us. That families that had nice clothes and nice cars and nice children wouldn't come and hear and respond to the gospel. I based my decisions on past experiences. On previous trip, lower income, hurting, poor, they seemed to need God more and be more responsive. It seemed that people like me were self-sufficient. They didn't need a free sports camp. They didn't need a block party with free food. And they didn't really need to hear about God. We started out the week on Monday by giving away free food. The locals from that neighborhood came and received food, but not one of them brought a child to our sports camp. That pastor and I both made decisions based on what we thought felt right. We ended up having a wonderful sports camp. Um, we had great children who listened to testimonies, heard the gospel and responded. Pastor and I both had the liberty to make a decision. 
We were free to state our opinion and we both had the opportunity to be right or wrong. Liberty, used in most political inferences, is all about freedom. Our Declaration of Independence states, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by the Creator with certain and unalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Statue of Liberty was a gift from France. This week, we're getting a second gift from France, the Little Sister. The statue will be 1 16th the size of the original. It's a 10-foot exact replica of the 1878 plaster model of Lady Liberty. It will be on Liberty Island until tomorrow, the 5th. It was there from the 1st to the 5th. And then it's going to be moved to Washington, D.C. and moved to the French ambassador's residence. I appreciate our Statue of Liberty and the millions who have seen her and who have been inspired by her. But she's not the original Statue of Liberty. Because 2,000 years ago, on a cross, for about six hours on a Friday, on a hill called Calvary, there's one who hung on a cross and died for all. For all the weary and burdened, for all the tired and poor, for the huddled masses and for those who were homeless. He also died for the wealthy, the religious, the kings in their kingdom. And on that day, the Statue of Liberty died for you and me. His death set us free from our bonds of sin. His death brought forgiveness. His willingness to sacrifice himself in our place gives us freedom. And it's out of that freedom that he calls us to come. To come when we are tired and weary so he can give us rest. To come and join him in the yoke of spreading the gospel. Come to me all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. In closing, I feel like I should mention that there are two kinds of yokes that can be used to bear burdens, single ones and shared ones. A shared yoke requires two creatures, but if they're willing to work together, if they're a well-matched pair, they can work all day. Because under a shared yoke, one can rest a little while the other one pulls. They can take turns bearing the brunt of the load. The stronger one can cover for the weaker one without ever laying down their burdens because the yoke is a shared one. In addition, they have company all day long. And even though they may get tired, totally, they won't be totally exhausted because they're a team. There are plenty of us who labor under the illusion that our yokes are single ones and that we have to go it alone. That the only way to please God is to load ourselves and others down with heavy burdens, heavy requirements, too many good deeds, pure false, blameless lives, perfect obedience, impressive performances. All the rules that we make and break, all those burdens we put on ourselves and each other, 
all while Jesus is standing there in a yoke in front of us. Half a yoke shared across his shoulders, the other half an open spot waiting for us. A yoke that requires no more than we step into it and share the burden with Jesus. Share the burden with Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. It's no wonder that these words are so well known and speak so deeply to our hearts. They need to remind us, as I need to be reminded from time to time, and as you need to be reminded from time to time, that those who please God are not the ones who carry the heaviest load alone or offer the most impressive solo performance. That those who please God are the one who share their loads, who are willing to share their yokes with him. Today, I'd like to give you the opportunity to come. All you who labor and are heavy laden. The celebration of the birth of a nation is exciting, but it's nothing compared to the celebration of the birth of a new Christian. Maybe you just need someone to pray with you. We'd love to do that. The invitation is for you to publicly respond to Christ. Come to me, all you that weary and are carrying a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You will never experience true liberty, true freedom, until you step inside that yoke next to Jesus. This is true for us, and it's true for our country. May God bless the USA, and may the USA become one nation under God with liberty and justice for all. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to look into your word and to be reminded today that we are yoked and we can be yoked with you. Today, Father, I pray for those who aren't followers of you, that today will be their day of salvation. Father, for those who've been carrying the load alone, let today be their day of recommitment, that they'll step out of the single yoke and move to the share yoke. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.